in week one of this series, we talked about how God has built metaphors right into our world. And when it comes to growth, when it comes to spiritual growth and real authentic community, he's built these principles um, in visual ways into our world. And in week one of the series, we talked about how healthy, growing bodies, which is the primary metaphor that God used when it comes to growing more people, more like Jesus, healthy, growing bodies, they are whole and they're integrated and they're able to prioritize. Those three things are key to healthy growth. And this weekend at snow camp, once again, this last weekend, we saw how it works. When you do these things, when you gather, just like Jesus said, when you gather in his name and you orient everything around him, you can see growth. And the amount of growth that we see even in a weekend is remarkable. So I was up there um, last weekend with Pastor Dan and, and his team and with these middle schoolers. And the first night we gathered them. We got them off the bus and let them move into their cabins. And, and we gathered them together in this room. And I looked them in the eyes and I said, you guys, we get it. Middle school is hard. It's hard. And we love you and we respect you. And we're going to do everything we can this weekend to help you. Because so many of your peers are going to fall into so many traps. And we want to do everything that we can to help you not fall into those traps that everyone's going to do. They're going to fall into. And we told them one of the reasons that we put on these snow camps is we don't want to just tell you these things. We want you to experience them. We want you to experience what life could be like if we really lived this out. If we didn't just give lip service to being a Christian, but we really lived it out. And we integrated faith into everything we do. We told them we're going all in. And we want to invite you to go all in as well as we get this weekend started. We said, everyone, let's turn off our devices. And let's engage in real conversations. Let's not do virtual games. We're going to do some real games that are going to be great. We're going to have these real sessions where it's not sing-along. We're going to try to really communicate and pray to God as we do these songs. And I was as honest as I could be with them. I said, I hope you have a blast. I hope you have fun. And I hope you experience something more than many of us experienced at Laurentian or at a sports camp or at a music camp, as good as those things are. We believe that God is real. And we're going to do everything we can. One of the reasons that we, the reason that we invest such a ridiculous amount of time and a ridiculous amount of money into these weekends is we want you to experience what life could be like if it was whole and integrated. If we, if we did life in Jesus' name. And our teenagers stepped up to the challenge and our leaders stepped up to the challenge and we had an amazing weekend. Here's a couple pictures just real quick from the, from the weekend. There's our group out in front of the dining hall, our middle school snow camp. We got another picture here, the next one. We tried to do everything together. You know, with meals, we would try to, before we would eat, we'd pray and thank God for our food. And the next slide up here is a uh, broom ball. We've, we've got some of our, our staff came from out of state and they just don't, didn't understand why broom ball is the sport of kings, you know? It is a great sport. And, uh, and then the next slide here is some tubing. And yes, that's a unicorn snow tube. They make unicorn snow tubes. All right? And then this game, I want to say a little bit about this. We, we wanted to create a game that you don't have to play at school and these kind of things. We created this game called Santa Assassin. And every year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And so there's this game. You've got these capturing flags. You're having these epic battles all around camp. And then there's Buddy's Land from Elf, 
where they could go into this area and you could dip your cookies into syrup and all this kind of stuff. It's like being in the movie and then fearsome Yeti mountain. If you dared to venture on Yeti mountain, there was a lot of points up there, but it was a fearsome, scary, scary place. And we, we did, we did our best to do everything in Jesus name, the games, the, the, the meals, and then especially the times we'd gather for chapel. And does it work to do life in Jesus' name? Yes. Let me read straight from the students themselves. We said at the end of camp, would you give us feedback? Would you tell us honestly what, what you liked, what you didn't like, what went well, what you would suggest? Listen to some of these things. Eighth grade boy, what was one of the things you appreciated most about snow camp? Worship. Next one. What, what, what improvements? Another eighth grader. What improvements would you recommend? Longer sessions. Longer church services, the equivalent of, right? These are eighth graders saying these things. What improvements would you recommend? I would make snow camp longer. On a scale of one to 10, how much you want to come back next year? 11. <laughs> Look at this. Eighth grader, what were two, four to things that you appreciate most about snow camp? Communion. Com- I didn't pay this person to say that. Communion. <laughs> This person wrote, what do you appreciate most about snow camp? You can feel God's presence in everything. The communion service, they said, should be longer. We were like in that room for about two hours, singing and doing communion longer. All right, this one's really interesting to me because it's an eighth grade guy. I know this guy. He swept the podium. We had a couple of th- opportunities where students could earn medals and trophies. He swept the podium. His team won in broomball. His team dominated in San Assassin. What was his favorite part about snow camp? Worship. Unbelievable. This person wrote, what did they love most about snow camp? How everyone took everyone in. Isn't that what we're about as Christians, right? Welcoming people in. This person said, I loved how the services you could be Real, real. Isn't that what we're about? Let's be real. This person said, make communion longer. This person said, the services were my favorite part and I got to know people better. And then this one wrote, I loved when we got to pray with the leaders. I love when we got to pray with the leaders. This person said the communion service and the marks on their hands. I'll tell you more about the marks on the hands in a second. Communion service on a scale of one to 10. How much you want to come back next year? A thousand. <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, how much you want to come back? 10 times 10. On a scale of one to 10, how much you want to come back? I don't know what this number is, but it's a one followed by 35 zeros. <laughs> Only to be broken by this one, one with 36 zeros. Does it work when we do life in Jesus' name? Yeah. For everybody, no. It didn't even work for all of Jesus' disciples. But our hope in that event, our hope when we gather in this room, our hope is that we're going to start experiencing something that spoils you for some, everything else. That everything else seems like a distant second. Because what we're experiencing is so real. You know what didn't show up on any of those forms? I wish we could have had our cell phones on during the weekend. What didn't show up on any of those forms? I wish we would have just had more free time to goof around. God is good. God is good. And I'm so proud of our middle schoolers for stepping up. In fact, I see several of them here. Could we have our leaders and our middle schoolers who were out there this last weekend? Could you stand up and could we give them applause for stepping up this weekend? Way to go, you guys. Way to go. Way to go. Thank you.
Thank you. We could not have done it if you guys hadn't stepped up and went all in. And we're so proud of you. And we are committed as a church to do everything we can to help you guys grow from this point forward. And that's what today is about, not just for teenagers, but for all of us. How do we grow when we have these these event experiences that get us wanting to make changes? How do we keep growing? And today we want to focus specifically on bringing the event home. It is absolutely essential that we do that. Um, earlier I mentioned I was going to tell you about these red markers, okay? At camp, we were, we were looking at what the Bible has to say, and specifically, there's a, a first century person, a real person, his name was John. He actually knew Jesus. He met Jesus. He was mentored under Jesus for three years. And we looked at all of his writings, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. We looked at his writings, and we specifically also zeroed in on what he had to say about the devil. And one of the things that we, we talked about at the communion service is we said, you've got choice to make here. You're going to have a life that is either going to be marked by the devil's activity in your life, where you're going to see the scars of going your own way and what the devil does with that, or you could be marked as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can bear his marks, his transformed life. And we said, when you go to pray today, tonight with a leader, you have this option. If you'd like them to make a mark on your hand, where, where like the nail was, to remind you that you're marked by Christ, we'd give you that opportunity to do that. Well, I certainly did that myself, but what happened to my marks? They fade, right? There's, there's nothing there. You can't even see it after just a week. Isn't that what happens to an event, to good intentions, if you go home and there's not a supportive structure there, right? So one of the thoughts that came to me here, let's write this down, then I'll share this thought that came to me. In your notes, there's a place to write this down. I'm going I'm to be so bold as to say it this way. Substantive growth is highly unlikely if you don't bring church home. Substantive growth. It is highly unlikely if you don't bring church home. Now, there will be some voices that will say, hey, no, no, problem was that, the, that, that it wasn't sincere. That's the problem. It wasn't a real commitment. I couldn't disagree more because I made a thousand real commitments, <laughs> right? You, you, you see an emotional movie, Okay, I'm going to be different, guy. I'm going, to, I'm going to care more about this and that and the other thing. You go on an event. God, I'm all yours. You know, I've made a thousand commitments to, my, to myself, to my wife, to my kids, to our church, you know, only to have those things fade over time. And I think almost everybody, if not everybody, can relate to that. Where you were sincere, but because you went back to a situation where there weren't supportive structures, it faded. So here's the thought that came to me. What if when you went home, we were able to do this to one another? Right? That when you came home, as something started to fade, we were there to encourage one another and support one another and build one another up. What if that was happening in our homes where these things that, that these catalytic moments that we have were now magnified and amplified and, and, and that fire was stoked? And encouraged. What if? What if? I've been leading camps and retreats since I was 16 years old. And if these last 32 years of ministry have taught me anything, they've taught me that there is a direct relationship between lasting growth and bringing church home. One youth and family expert put it this way. He said, what we ought to do is to let the children drop off the parents at church. And we train the parents. 
And then we send the parents back to their mission field, to their homes, to grow Christians. Another man said this, and there's a place to write this in your notes. He said, as the family goes, so goes the future of the church. As the family goes, so goes the future of the church. The series that we're in, this is about real growth. This is about growth that lasts. This is not about something that shoots up for a moment and then dies off. And in the series so far, we've talked about how big church is really, really important, but it's not enough. Small church, really, really important. It's not enough. Today, we want to add to this. We want to add the importance of bringing church home. Whatever your home situation looks like, if it's just you under one roof, how do you make that be a place that helps to build you up? If it's two people, if it's roommates, whatever the situation is, whatever you call home, what if that was a place where you got filled up and charged up and encouraged where faith grew? All right, well, I mentioned earlier, we're going to tie Lady Gaga into all of this. And here we go. This is scriptural. It may feel very loosely scriptural, but it's scriptural. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. I also want to let you know, too, if you're new here, um, each and every week we keep a stack of Bibles at those tables. They're there for you. Please take one. Absolutely free. Just take one of those Bibles. We would love for you to have a Bible at home if you don't have one. All right. So Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 1. This is towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. All right, let's talk about this uh, verse here a little bit. Here we find Jesus coming off of a big event. Does anyone know it says in the word here, it says that he returned from the Jordan. Say it out loud if you know what happened at the Jordan. He was baptized. All right, so Jesus is coming off this big event, his baptism. It happened in the Jordan. The Bible says he's full of the Holy Spirit, like most of, our, most of us are right after camp or some great event. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. In the wilderness, Jesus is tested three times. And we're going to look at test number three, because that's the one that looks like what happened at the Super Bowl with Lady Gaga. All right, here we go. So let's jump ahead to test number three. Jesus passed the first two, by the way, just in case you're wondering. All right, um, Luke chapter four, verses nine through 11. Here's test number three. So after the first two tests, the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and he had him stand at the highest point of the stadium. I mean, temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now, many scholars, as they study this passage, they believe that the specific point of reference here is a point of the temple that was called the royal porch. It was on the temple's southeast corner. And from that corner to the bottom of the Kidron Valley below, which you could have leapt to, was 450 feet. I don't know how tall it is to the top of NRG Stadium. I tried looking it up. I couldn't find it. But I'd imagine it's not much more than that if it's even that high. So you've got Jesus up on the top of this, this, this big, big temple with this huge drop. And the devil says, jump, because God will catch you. Don't you have enough faith? Come on, don't you believe the Bible? Because the devil's quoting scripture here. And someday I want to come back to this one. I want to come back to this text. Because the scripture that the devil quotes is Psalm 91. I didn't, I didn't, never looked into this before this weekend. Psalm 91, if you want to twist scripture, when someone's standing at the top of the temple, 
claiming to be the Son of God, this is the perfect scripture to twist. In fact, you might want to write down Psalm 91, look it up, and look at that. Especially if you have a study Bible, look at why this was the perfect scripture to twist. The reason I want to come back is because the devil twists scripture all around us, you guys. There are so many things you're going to hear about different issues, and people are going to quote scripture, and it's twisted. Where does that come from? All right, but right now I want to focus on this event, this event that's taking place on a high point. The devil attempts to seduce Jesus into neglecting natural laws, among other things. Jesus is coming off a big event. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And the devil attempts to trick Jesus into a foolish test, a foolish test. And Jesus calls him out. He says this in verse 12. Jesus answered, it is said, don't put the Lord, your God, to a what? Test. He calls him out. Devil wants to test him. Jesus calls him out, says, don't put the Lord, your God, to a test. Devil tries to twist Psalm 91. Jesus counters with Deuteronomy 6. Which, this was another one of these weeks. It was so fun because I just kind of went where the scriptures led. They led to Deuteronomy 6. This is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Why is that significant to growing families? This was so fun for me because... This is the section of the scripture that is the most detailed in the whole Bible about bringing church home. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. So he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. What does this have to do with Lady Gaga? If you haven't already connected the dots, think how foolish it would have been for Lady Gaga to be up on top of the stadium and to jump without a harness. Nobody does that unless you want to hurt yourself, right? Because there's natural laws in play. Everybody knows you jump off the top of a stadium. You don't have anything holding you up. Gravity's going to bring you to the ground. You're going to crash, right? In fact, this was so dangerous. Um, several reports are coming out that said she didn't actually jump when it looked like she jumped. She pre-recorded that part because it was far too dangerous, far too risky to do that actual jump. Instead, she pre-recorded that and then all of a sudden spotlight hits and oh, she's falling, right? Because everybody knows it's foolish. It's foolish to test natural laws in a foolish way. May I present to you that we are doing something very, very similar if we don't bring church home. We are testing the way that change works. There's a science to change. There are biblical principles. There are best practices to change. And we are violating those if we think we can have these events and not follow up at home. Here's how the pericope ends that we had just been reading. Luke chapter 4, verse 13. And the devil ended every temptation. He departed from Jesus until when? Opportune time. Is there a whole series right there? Opportune time. That was jumping off the page at me. When are we at our worst? You know, these opportune times. When have you made your stupidest decisions? Opportune times for the enemy, right? When you're at your weakness, weakest or when you don't have supportive people around you, when, you're, when you've got all the negative forces working against you, those opportune times. One of the things we talked about with our teenagers is this. We said, Does, if you resist the devil, will he flee from you? Yeah, the scripture says that. But what else do we see in the scripture? We see that he comes back. We see that he comes back. And he comes back at when? Opportune times. Here's what's scary, you guys. Think of all the opportune times that are waiting for kids at home. And by home, I don't mean school. 
By home, I don't mean the locker room. By home, I don't mean the bus, where there's all kinds of opportunity times there. I'm talking about our home homes. Think of all the opportune times that we allow into our homes for students to have their experience. These positive things they want to do their life to have them fade. Where in the world am I here on my notes? I don't know. I just get fired up about this stuff, you guys. One of the best books I've ever read on the science of change is this one right here. It's called Influencer. A couple of these guys are Christians. I don't know if they all are, but they nail it. If you want to read a book about how you make change in your workplace, at home, wherever, this book called Influencer, I put it in your notes. It's, it's, it's the best one I've ever read on it. And one of the things that they talk about is how there are forces at work, natural forces at work, and if you want to get them working for you, not against you, you want to get personal stuff on the inside working for you, not against you. You want to get social things on the outside working for you, not against you. You want to get structural things, the very environment itself working for you, not against you. I would encourage you to read that book if you didn't. And what we want to make sure we do is we don't let, um, we don't let these, these tests come our way and we just... We just let the, the, the devil have his way. Man, I am way off my notes. Here we go. <laughs> I encourage you to write this down in your notes. Spiritual growth and natural processes aren't at odds. Can I get an amen to that? Spiritual growth and natural processes aren't at odds. If we ignore what science teaches us about how change occurs, if we fail the test of bringing church home, we might as well jump off the top of a building and pray that God catches us. Again, if we simply outsource spiritual growth to events and activities outside the home, we're not just ignoring best practices. We're also working against the clear teaching of Scripture. I mentioned earlier that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6 at the top of the temple. We're going to come back to this chapter in in this summer because I want to walk through this whole chapter piece by piece, spend at least four weeks on this. There's so much here, but I want to give you this little teaser to quickly look at some of these, these principles here from the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look what it has to teach us about what the Bible says about if you want change to happen, if you want to raise up young men and women who, who know and follow the Lord. It says this, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How are we doing with this as Americans? Oh, There's a great organization called Search Institute. They conducted a nationwide survey of more than 11,000 people from 561 congregations across six different denominations. Here's what they found. And again, these are professing Christian households. Take a look at this. Question number one, what is the percentage of youth who have a regular dialogue with their mom on faith life issues in Christian homes? You know what the answer is? 12%. 12%. 12%. And then there's dad. Oh, man, we got a man up. 
What is the percentage of youth who have a regular dialogue with their father on faith and life issues? Answer, 5%. Along with big church experiences and small church experiences, a key part, perhaps the key part of God's plan for helping people grow is to bring church home. And one of the things that struck me as I was doing my research this week is how the devil truly does look for opportune times. And he can find them in any situation. He found them in the wilderness. When Jesus was hungry, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he found them when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. He tempted them too. But the opposite is also true. The father of lies found an opportune time to test Adam and Eve in a lush garden. How many of you guys know that our lives are often at greatest risk when we're busy and comfortable? Take a look at how Deuteronomy 6 continues. 10, and and this context of this is the children of Israel are on the verge of going into the promised land. And And it is written, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers with great and good cities that you didn't build, houses full of good things that you didn't fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, When you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you should serve, and by his name you should swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. And then here's where Jesus quoted. This is where the quote comes from. You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right. Do what is good in the sight of the Lord. So what if, what if as best we could, we created home environments where there were very few opportune times for the devil to steal and kill and destroy what God had birthed in the life of us or our families or our loved ones, our roommates. Here's how we word it in your notes. Just place write this down. Imagine if we built upon catalytic faith experiences at home. Can you imagine that? If we got all these things working together, we have these great catalytic experiences together in worship on these events in our small churches. And then when we go home, we continue to build upon them. And I put four words there. And if we could leave this again, Kevin, on the screen for just a minute, I put the word food, the word word, the word life and the word impact. Where'd I get those words? I got them from Brandon and Jason. Because as they were building out this small church model, I love these pieces. Let's organize our small churches around food and word and life and impact. And don't these words also apply to big church? There's a reason we got cookies and coffee, right? Out there. It brings people together. There's also a reason why the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. On a much more profound level, it brings us together. And we could go down the same thing, word, life, impact. All of those apply to small church and big church. Where else could they apply? Home. There's a million things we could, directions we could go with this topic today. But because time is limited, let's just look at these things. And I specifically want to encourage you, just look at one. What's one of these areas that you could become more intentional about going home? 
And on the back of your notes, I, I put some ideas. Again, just a starting point. This isn't the exhaustive list or anything even close. But what if each of us became more intentional about one of these things at home and how we could bring God more into our homes for food? You know, you know how sophisticated the Studensky family prayer is for food? I'll teach it to you right now. It's really hard. Thank you, God, for this food. That is our prayer before most meals. But isn't it important? What if we just acknowledge before we ate our food? We just thank you, God, for our food. Prioritizing table time. Yours isn't the only family. It's maybe eating together once a month at a table that's not in a restaurant, right? What if we made that a priority at least once a week, twice a week? This is our sit down around the meal, all devices off, all screens off. You know, do you see how, what, what a difference that could possibly make around food? And the word, there's so many things there you could do, including just filling your house with God-honoring music and media. Imagine even if we just did this, something as simple as this, just checking in with each member of our family each day. How can I pray for you today? Even some of those things. Maybe some of you are already doing these things. You know, with life, what if we were more intentional about the things that are already in our schedule? Bedtime, if you got little ones. Or not so little ones. Car time. I mean, I, I, I drive my, most days I drive my um, oldest daughter to school. Uh, we've, we've, I try to turn off the radio. You know, how are you doing today? What's going on? You know, just these, these times. Impact. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities to serve, to consciously start thinking about chores, not just chores, but starting to recognize we're serving one another here. Do you see how you could take any one of these? What I would encourage you to do, whatever your home looks like, if it's just you, then think, how can I bring more of God in my home? If it's you and a roommate, if it's you and a family, take one of these and say, what could we do? What's one thing we could do differently to bring more of God into our home? And again, we're going to devote a whole series to this this summer, but just think what a win it would be if we started walking this out now. I want to give two more quotes, and then we'll be done. This one is by a guy named Lee. He says this, For years, people in the congregation have worked diligently to make sure that the light is shining bright from their building so that the whole community can see the good things that the congregation is doing. While this is a noble cause, and it is, a better vision is for congregations to work in partnership with families of all shapes and ages and sizes to assure that the lights are on where? In every home. With lights on in every home, the whole community will be lit for the world to see. And we would be honored to partner with you. And, and by we, I mean like the Studensky family because we need as much advice as anyone else. How do you do this with two working parents? And you know, how do we do this well? What does it look like for us to come together and encourage one another and share ideas and, 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 and to brainstorm and pray together? Well, if you feel the guilt that I felt working on this <laughs> message here this week, I want to share something that we shared at Snow Camp, and that's going to bring us to our last quote. This one's from the Bible. As I mentioned, we were working our way through books that John had written. And one of the things that we saw is that one of the names that John gives for the devil is the accuser. The accuser. That's one of the names that he ascribes to the devil. And then you guys got my, my you can talk to the teens who were there. They, they can say, this is exactly how it played out. I was reading from 1 John 2 in one of our sessions, and this jumped out at me while I was talking, this verse right here. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have a what? An advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are talking about the accuser. And then I see another word that starts with A and it's what? Advocate. We have an advocate. When the enemy comes in and accuses, 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 oh, you're falling short, you're falling short. Because one of the definitions of sin, there's multiple ways sin happens. One of them is falling short. In fact, it says in James 4.17, knowing what is the right thing to do and not doing it, it's sin. Do I know 50 right things I should be doing at home and I'm not doing them? Yep. When the accuser accuses, we have an advocate. Jesus wants to help. He doesn't just sit there and, and, and say, here's what you're doing wrong. Let me help. Let me help with these people around you. Let me help by letting my spirit come in in you. Let me help by helping you be born again with a new mind and a new heart. Let me help. John reveals that the devil's an accuser. What John says about Jesus, is that he's an advocate. Jesus knows, please hear these words, Jesus knows what it's like to be tested. And by passing the test that the Israelites failed in those 40 years in the wilderness, by passing the test that Adam and Eve failed in the lush garden, by passing the test that you and I fail every day, the one who has been there made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to adopt us as his sons and his daughters, and to what? To welcome us home. To welcome us home. Not okay, you can get in. Welcome us home. On the Christian calendar, This is the start of a new week. And what a great way to start this new week by gathering together at the Lord's table and to say, God, as I step forward towards you, give me an idea that I can bring home. And here's one of the things that's just especially beautiful about communion. When we take that wafer, we take that juice, we're literally bringing church home. It's becoming part of our genetic makeup. And may God bless us in a way where our minds now are more oriented and we're coming home with a Christ-like mind and a Christ-like heart. All that can happen. That's one of the reasons why when we do communion here, and at this time I want to have the worship band come forward, one of the reasons this is why we do communion the way we do it, you don't have to be a member here to, to celebrate communion with us. If you can sincerely pray the prayers that we're about to pray, we would welcome you to join us. Because how beautiful is it for all of us to come as we are saying, God, I'm sorry, I want to start anew and to take that step towards him and to bring him home.